Are you glad you're here today? Well, we're glad that you're with us. And we have great music, as always, a great music team. We appreciate everything they do uh, to pull off our Easter weekend. We got two more services tomorrow. We're very excited about that. And hey, today we're celebrating Easter. We're celebrating Jesus. And think about this. And all over the world today, right now, all over the world, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Desperate people pray. Grateful people worship. Angry people curse. Because Jesus is the one person you either have to believe in or reject. The last several weeks here at Grace, we've been in a series called Journey to the Cross. And we've been talking about the last few weeks of Jesus' life and uh, and how that went, and, and basically, we're going to continue to do that today where, where Jesus gets to Jerusalem. We've used a simple outline, basically what happened, what Jesus said, and why it matters. And so what happened is, on the Sunday before Easter, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He's actually on the colt of a donkey, and all of his uh, supporters, all the people that appreciated his teaching, they're cheering, they're shouting, because to them, the king, the Messiah, the son of David, he's coming to Jerusalem to take the throne, to be crowned king, and they're taking off their coats, they're throwing them, in the way, throwing them down in the way for the, the colt to walk on, and Jesus goes in the eastern gate. He doesn't stay in Jerusalem long. He actually heads out back to Bethany about less than two miles away where he stays with some friends that night. On Monday morning, Jesus comes back into Jerusalem. He enters the temple. He cleanses it, which is a way of saying that he drives out the money changers, the people who were taking advantage in kind of a corrupt system at the temple. He drives them out, and then he teaches in the temple. Tuesday, again, he's teaching in the temple. Wednesday, he has a quiet day in Bethany, and while he's sort of with his friends, Judas is plotting to betray him. Thursday begins the celebration of Passover, and he meets with his disciples in the upper room. And as they're there meeting, he predicts that Peter will deny him and Judas will betray him. And after that meal is over, they go out of Jerusalem, the eastern side, and up halfway up the Mount of Olives across a little valley there where you can see, look over Jerusalem, and they're there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus spends the evening in prayer. And that's when he's arrested. He's taken into custody Thursday night. The disciples flee. And then Thursday night into Friday morning, Jesus is, is sort of put through several illegal nighttime trials. And then eventually, he's put to death. He's beaten. He's mocked. He's spit on. He's flogged. He, he takes uh, 
the cross or part of it out of Jerusalem to a hill on the western side called Golgotha, and there he, the, his wrists are nailed into the cross beam, his feet are nailed into the posts, and he's lifted up in crucifixion. It's an excruciatingly slow way to die that the Romans had perfected over the last few decades. And then he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And at the end he says, it is finished. After he dies, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, kind of a secret follower of Jesus, he goes to Pilate and he asks Pilate for the body of Christ so he can take him down and get him buried before the Sabbath begins because otherwise he'll be up there until Sunday when the Sabbath is over. So Pilate asks the centurion, is he, is he dead? And, and they say yes. And, and Pilate hurriedly takes the body of Jesus, wraps him in linen, puts him into his own tomb, Joseph's tomb, and seals it just before Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday night. Saturday, Jesus' body remains in the tomb. And his followers have lost all hope, but they should have remembered what he said. And that's what I want to focus on first is what Jesus said. First of all, what he said about himself. Uh, he's made this radical claim that still echoes through history that led to his death. And that night that he was going through those trials, the, the evening before he was killed, one of those is he was meeting in front of the court of the Sanhedrin. Illegal trial shouldn't have been happening, happening at night, but it is not going smoothly for the enemies of, G, of Jesus. They're trying to convict him, to put him to death, but the, the, the testimony they have from the witnesses, they seem to contradict each other. Remember, Jesus led a righteous life, so it was very difficult for them to come up with charges that would stick with two or three witnesses. And so they finally realized the only way to... to to convict him was for Jesus to incriminate himself. And so they ask plainly if Jesus is indeed the king. Is he the Christ, the Messiah? That's what Christ means. Is he the Messiah? And Jesus answers directly, by the way, that's recorded for us by Luke in Luke twenty-two sixty-seven. They say this, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you'll not believe. And if I ask a question, you'll not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And in that statement, he goes way beyond just saying that he's Messiah. He's claiming divinity. So they ask the question, the key question that they need to use, they need his answer for them to condemn him, not just Roman law that he's saying he's a king, but Jewish law because he's saying he's God. And they all said, verse 70, are you the son of God then? And he said to them, yes, I am. 
Then they said, what further need do we have of testimony? For we've heard it ourselves from his own mouth. And they end up dragging Jesus out of there and they take him to Pilate because Pilate alone has the authority to execute as the Roman that was in charge of that area. And then what Jesus said about himself to Pilate. There with Pilate in Luke 23.3, so Pilate asked him saying, are you, so are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said, it is as you say. And Jesus repeatedly claimed to be the Messiah king, but not just that, the son of God. But it's not just what Jesus said about himself that we need to focus on. We also need to understand what Jesus said about us. And what we would expect when it comes to what it's recorded that Jesus said about us, because if you've read the Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, you come to this conclusion that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God. So we're expecting that Jesus would just say plainly, hey, everybody, you're all sinners. You've all done wrong. But even though Jesus teaches that, that's not the way he says it. Uniquely, Jesus has this way of letting us figure that out within our own hearts. And I'll, I'll explain that. Uh, one time, and we, we actually talked about this about a month ago, a, a rich young community leader runs up to Jesus and asks him this question, and it's the question everybody wants to know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells the rich young ruler, well, keep all the commands. And amazingly, this guy answers and says, well, that's great. I, I've, I do that. I've always done that. And then after he answers that way, Jesus says something to him. It's really interesting. Jesus says, okay, well then go home, sell all your stuff, Give to the poor and follow me. And this is really interesting because Jesus invites all of us to follow him. He said that many, many times, but to nobody had he ever said, well, go sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And when Jesus says that to the guy, the guy leaves and doesn't come back. And here's another example where Jesus, by what he says, he's letting us figure something out in our own heart. Because that man who said, hey, I keep all the law. I've always done that. I've always kept the law. I've always kept the Ten Commandments. Well, he, Jesus is showing him by those instructions and his unwillingness to do it that he hasn't kept the first law. Commandment number one, which is keep God first in your life. Put God first in your heart. Jesus is teaching him. Jesus is allowing him to figure it out for himself that he's not keeping the law. And so Jesus was, at, was, was asked this most important question, hey, how do you go to heaven? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He was asked that repeatedly. Another incident that that Luke records for us in chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, it says, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, 
Here's Jesus' response. He answers with a question. And he said to him, what's written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, this is the guy asking, he answers, he says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds to him, and he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Do everything you just said, and you will have eternal life. And, but think about it. Jesus is saying, okay, love God with all your heart, all the time, every moment of every day. Love God with all your soul. Love God with all your strength. Love God with all your mind, all the time, every day. Your mind is only dwelling on your love for God. You are controlling your mind to not let it drift to anything that's not okay with God. And we're realizing, wow, that is hard. What's interesting is the lawyer that Jesus is interacting with, he doesn't ask about that. He actually asks about the easier part of the second part of the law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And then what he says is he says, well, then who's my neighbor? And, and you've probably heard this story. Jesus answers, and he actually answers with a story that Jesus told, and now it's become famous and it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Basically, Jesus is talking to all these Jewish men, and he tells them, hey, there's this Jewish businessman, and he's traveling the road they all know from Jericho to Jerusalem, but that goes through some hills with a lot of caves. It's kind of a dangerous road, a lot of robbers. And, the, and sure enough, the guy's traveling, and the guy gets mugged. He gets hijacked. And they steal everything from him. And they even steal his clothing. They strip him, they beat him, and they leave him half dead on the road. So he's just helpless there, dying. And then, as the story goes, a Jewish priest happens to come along the road. But the Jewish priest sees the man, but he doesn't help him. He sort of skirts on the other side of the road and gets beyond him and goes on. And then, if that was enough, a Jewish Levite comes by. And a Levite is a guy who's dedicated himself to serving God. He comes along, and same thing. He sees the guy, but he doesn't help him. He sort of skirts along and just moves off, moves along, keeps going. And then, third, and this is the kicker, a Samaritan comes by. And now that's key to this Jewish audience, because Jewish people and Samaritan people, they didn't like each other. They lived near each other. Samaritans didn't like Jews. Jews didn't like Samaritans. But in the story, the Samaritan guy comes by. He sees the guy and he renders aid. He stops. He helps the guy. He bandages up his wounds. He lifts the guy up and he puts him on the Samaritan's own donkey. And then he leads that into the nearest town. And then when he gets to a place that can help this guy recover, he actually pulls out his wallet and he pays for this guy's food, his lodging, and his medical care for the days to come, how long he thinks it's going to take this man to recover, and then he goes on with his business. And when Jesus ends the story, then he says, who's the neighbor? You just asked me who's my neighbor. I just told you this story, so you tell me who's the neighbor? And then 
The lawyer says, well, I guess, he didn't even want to say Samaritan. I, I guess the one that showed him mercy. And then Jesus says, yeah, that's exactly right. Do that. Be that guy. Be that guy. Love everyone, even people that you might consider your enemy. Love everybody all the time like you love yourself. Do that. And it's got to be people are standing around there. They're listening to the story Jesus just told in response to these questions. And they got to be thinking, I can't do that. I can't love all the time consistently my enemies like I love myself. And if anybody actually thought about Jesus' words, it would strike them in their own heart. Wow, I can't do what he's telling me to do. Jesus actually answered the same exact question Tuesday that last week, the last time that he taught publicly in the temple. Because the question is always, hey, what's God's law and what's the most important commands that if we keep them, we're okay with God? And a guy comes up to him Tuesday and says, hey, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, well, the greatest command is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the problem is, he, he keeps saying this, and he's not telling us that we're all sinners. He's letting us figure it out because we come to this conclusion because what he's saying that we're supposed to do, we cannot do if we're honest with ourselves in our own hearts. And so I, I wanna, it, it, here's the problem. We don't wanna define goodness that way. The way we naturally define good, goodness is we just look around and we compare ourselves to others so we can feel good about ourselves. So we look around and, and, and in a sense, kind of what we do is we say, well, you know, I'm no Billy Graham but I'm no Hitler either. So I'm kind of somewhere here in the safe middle. And we tend to think, yeah, I'm okay, but boy, anybody sort of below me, ah, they might be in, tr in trouble. But, but here's the thing, listen to me. God never does that. Jesus never defined goodness by, by us comparing ourselves with other people. Actually, God did something completely different. And this is what Jesus keeps doing all through his ministry for three years. He keeps doing the same thing. He judges us not compared to other people. He, he judges us according to his law, according to his standard, which is right and true and pure. And when he does that, we don't do so well. I, I'd like to illustrate that for you in what I mean by that. It's kind of like um, if you were if you, you were at the Grand Canyon and uh, how, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? All right, so you've been to the Grand Canyon? Yeah, yeah, a lot of us have. Or you've seen a picture. All right, so that's everybody, right? So let's say you're at the Grand Canyon 
and you're hanging over the canyon on a chain. And this, this is one of these illustrations where women in the crowd, they're going, why would I be at the Grand Canyon hanging on a chain over the canyon? But guys are like, yeah, go on. Like, yeah, I was just doing that like five weeks ago. Yeah, you know, and, and as a matter of fact, there's a bunch of guys that were just doing that, uh, but that's another story. But it, not the Grand Canyon, but hanging by a chain or a rope or boards, but whatever. So, you know, what's going on here? So, so you're hanging by a chain, and here's the deal. What God is saying is the chain is God's law. And every point, every law in his law is a link. And so I'm here and I'm hanging on to God's law and and here I am, I'm hanging over the Grand Canyon and I don't want to plummet to my death. But then I look over and I notice a buddy of mine. And I'm actually feeling kind of good because my buddy, I know him and he is not a follower of God, and I know he has broken a lot of laws. I mean, his links, they're jacked up. They're broken, because he's broken all these laws. Me, on the other hand, I've only broken a couple. Well, which one of us is safe? Neither, right? Whether you break one link, or 10 links, or 20 links, or 50 links, we both plummet to our deaths at the base of the canyon, right? Here's what God's teaching us. He's saying, hey, we're here and every single law is a link. And this chain of God's law is holding the weight of our soul. But if we break a law, then It cannot hold us anymore. That's it for us, right? That's what he's telling us. That's what Jesus keeps saying. You have to keep all the law. Well, well, I think I've kept all the law. Okay, sell all your stuff, give to the poor, and follow me. That'll show that you put me first. Number one, law. Uh, I I can't, can't do that. Well, yeah, I'll follow the law. I know the commandments. Okay, Love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, that means everybody, even people you consider enemies. And see, the problem is, Jesus says, keep this law. It'll hold the weight of your soul. But the problem is, when he starts talking about the individual laws, it gets worse. Like Jesus, in his most famous sermon, he says, oh, you know that one law that says don't commit adultery? And everybody's going, yeah. He goes, if you even lust after somebody in your heart, you've broken that law. We're going, what? Hey, Jesus says in his most famous sermon, hey, you know that the law do not murder? Remember all these laws, don't steal, don't murder, don't lie. He says, you know the do not murder law? They're all going, yeah, don't murder. Yeah, we're good on that one. And he says, if you ever hate somebody in your heart, you've broken that law. In your heart, you just have, you didn't follow through with it, but you wanted to. And we realize that the weight of our soul cannot hang on our chain of keeping God's law. Because whether we've broken one law, ten laws, a hundred laws, or one time, ten times, or a hundred times, it doesn't matter. This chain of our ability 
to keep God's law. It cannot hold the weight of our soul. So here it is, Jesus, the greatest moral teacher. People keep coming to him. He's the greatest moral teacher ever. Everybody would say this. People all the time in his ministry kept coming to him and saying, well, how, are, do we, how do we be right with God? How do we go to heaven and spend eternity with God? And he keeps saying, by keeping the law, but then as he describes it to us, if we just think about what he says, we all realize in our own hearts, if we're honest with ourselves, we cannot do it. We cannot consistently keep the law. None of us can. I can't. You can't. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. And that's why Jesus died for us. Because Jesus is the one person in history, the God-man, who came and he knew the law of God and uniquely Jesus kept the law of God his entire life. He kept every single link of the law and never broke one of them. He did that. And then because God loves us, and because he didn't have any sin in his humanity to pay for, he voluntarily went to the cross in order to be killed and to pay our penalty for our sin. Because God's telling us, because he's perfectly just, that sin, wrongs, have to be punished. If wrongs aren't punished, there's no justice. But God's saying, ultimately, there is justice in his universe, and he says wrongs have to be punished, and the punishment for even breaking one link in God's law is that we would be separated from him forever in a place called hell. But God loves us. And so God made a way by allowing his son to come and Jesus voluntarily, after living a perfect life, allows himself to be killed and cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And somehow we can't wrap our minds around it. God, who is eternally one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, experienced some kind of a separation. Somehow Jesus in his humanity feels separated from God and he pays our price. Infinite God separated from the Father for some moments in time and that equals God paying our infinite separation from God that we owe forever. God pays that price for us. But it just wasn't his death on Friday or him laying in the tomb on Saturday. What we're celebrating this weekend, right, is Sunday. And Sunday changes everything Matthew records it this way in Matthew 28, verse 1. He says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, 
Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who's been crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and you'll see him there. Behold, I've told you. This is what Jesus has said. It's what Jesus has said about us. But then after the resurrection, the glorious resurrection that we're celebrating, what did Jesus say then? Well, Jesus appeared to the disciples a few times, but he kept that appointment that he had made with them to meet them in Galilee. And when he does that, he says some things to them. In Luke 24, 44, it says, now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, saying while I was teaching you all that time, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it's written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And he said, you are witnesses of these things. And as he told them that, he didn't just stop there. He actually said, as witnesses, you have a responsibility. And he records that for us, Matthew does, in Matthew 28, beginning in 19, he said, hey, all you witnesses, all you followers, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is what we talk about grace here at Grace a lot. You know, that it's our job to make disciples, and make disciples just means to make followers, and the way he describes that we're supposed to do that is three participles, by going, by teaching, by baptizing. And as a matter of fact, here at Grace, right here on this platform, two weeks ago, many people, 58 people actually got baptized and, and you must understand that baptism is not what makes you right with God. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't fix this problem that you have. Your broken links. Baptism is just what you do once you've been saved, once you've become a believer. Baptism is just one of the things that you do in response, out of gratitude. You follow him and what he told you do, to do. And baptism is one of those things. And that's what we should do. But all followers, once they become believers, should follow in believers' baptism. But what if you're not a follower of Jesus? Well, this is the end. This is why it matters. Why it matters. You see, without the resurrection that we celebrate this weekend, Christianity crumbles. Without the resurrection, there'd be no Christianity. Even Paul in the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. 
You see, the resurrection validates everything that Jesus said about himself, and the resurrection validates everything that Jesus said about us. All proved true. The weird thing about it is, uh, looking up statistics here, just in the last couple years, uh, a poll was done. 66% of Americans believe in the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus as the Bible explains it. Think about that. Two-thirds of Americans believe that the physical resurrection of Jesus happened just like the Bible says. Amazingly, the same poll found that almost half of Americans who don't normally go to church believe that the resurrection happened just like the Bible said, the way the Bible says it happens. 48% of people who normally don't go to church say, yeah, I believe the resurrection happened just the way the Bible explains it. That's exciting on one hand, and it's heartbreaking. On the other hand, two-thirds of Americans believe the resurrection really happened? Why is that heartbreaking? Because two-thirds of Americans are not letting the resurrection impact their life in a positive way, right? Our country would be completely different if that were true. So, what I normally do on Easter and what I love to do is I'll go through and I'll show you all the evidence for the resurrection, but I'm realizing, you know, there's a bunch of people, they're already convinced on the resurrection. It just has not changed their life, has not impacted their life in any way. They believe Jesus rose from the dead, but they choose not to follow him. They believe that it happened but they're not disciples, they're not followers of Christ. Well, how, how can that be? Well, it's because, yeah, they, there's all this evidence and they buy in, they get it. It's historical, it happened. But just believing that that happened is not make you a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. You see, it's not just believing Jesus being a Christian is believing in Jesus. It's the, the way we say it a lot around here is it's trusting in Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. See, there's this point where we realize, hey, this is God's law that carry, is meant to carry the weight of my soul, but I can't keep the law, and so I'm in trouble, and I need to realize I've broken links, but Jesus has a perfect chain because Jesus did not break any law, and Jesus died for me so I can have his chain, and his chain can carry the weight of my soul and every other soul. But for his chain to become my chain, I have to admit my sin, that my chain's broken. I need to not just believe that Jesus happened and the resurrection happened. I need to place all my trust in Jesus' life. He's the only way. And the way we know we do that sincerely is because if we truly become a believer, he will change our life from the inside out. 
because we will start having a desire to follow him, whether it's in baptism or just living the way he wants or looking at these broken chains in our life and although we know we can't ever get it perfect, there will always be a broken chain, we still, we try to follow him more closely. Not because it means our salvation, we're already saved, because we're so grateful for our salvation. We want to follow Jesus. And so, what I want to do today is just have everybody kind of figure out where we are with Jesus. And, and we've done this before. I don't know if you've been here before, but now I want you to take out that card that you probably did not fill out when Luke asked you to fill it out. So grab a card if you didn't already do that. I want everybody to grab a card. And a red card in front of you, just pull that out. If you flip it over to the blue side, at the bottom of the blue side, there's an A, B, C, or D. And this is just a tool that we use sometimes. And here's, because every single person in this room right now fits into just one of four categories. You can't be in two categories. One of four categories. And what I want us to do today is that we would honestly think from our heart, and we would self-identify exactly where we are with God. Because that's the most important thing we could do in life. And the first is A. So check A, but before you check A, this is A. A means before I walked in here today, I already can think to a time in my life, I already trusted in Christ, and not just I already trusted in Him, that I know that there's fruit in my life because of it. I may, I've already made a decision to trust Christ and my life has changed because of that. Not, I'm not perfect or anything like that, but I can see my life has changed. Already trust her. If that's true of you, you check A. And then B, we're gonna use that for, wow, you know, I, I believe in the resurrection. I think it happened, but I'm not sure I've ever really trusted Christ the way you're saying this. I believe that Jesus existed, but I'm not sure I'm trusting in Jesus. Well, if you're ready to do that today, I encourage you, place your trust in Jesus. P put the weight of your soul on Jesus and nothing else. It's the only thing that can handle the weight of our soul. It's Jesus, what he did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so if you're ready to check B, I just want to lead you in a short prayer, which just is, is an expression of that trust, that decision that I hope you'll make today. And, and it just goes like this, and, and you just pray this in your own heart. God knows. Something like this. God, I, I, I admit that I've sinned against you. And Father, I, I know that the weight of my soul... I can't hold that with my own life, with my own goodness, with my own chain. It doesn't work. I've broken too many commands, and even one is enough. And so, God, right now, I'm crying out to you, asking for forgiveness, and I'm putting the full weight of my soul on Jesus and nothing other than Jesus that he died for me. That's all I have. And, God, I'm asking you to come into my life through your Spirit and Lord, I want to follow you. I just need help. So help me do that. And God, thanks for loving me like that. 
Thank you for loving me like that. In Christ's name, amen. If that's you, be. And I know some of you are probably sitting here and you're going, you know, Kevin, I I get all this stuff and, you know, I'm kind of, I'm thinking about it. I just don't know that I'm quite there yet. That, that I would really make that prayer sincerely from my heart, that I would really be thinking that I'm willing to repent, I'm, I'm will, that I'm willing to turn my life to follow Jesus rather than do my own thing by trusting in him. Yeah, yeah, I trust him, but I still want my own life. Okay, well, we'll just mark you see, you're considering following Jesus. Just see. And then last is D, you know, D is just, hey, I, I didn't fit anywhere else. And frankly, I don't feel like I need Jesus, don't want Jesus. I'm just here because somebody, you know, invited me or whatever. Not into it. Don't care. That's just check D. And we appreciate your intellectual honesty in doing that because everybody fits into the one of these four categories. And by the way, if, if you marked B, if on the red side, if you'll put your name and address, maybe it's already there, but if it's not, if you'll put your name and your mailing address, we're actually going to send you a packet. And in that packet actually has one of my favorite small books written by a friend of mine, a pastor that lives in this state, uh, that answers questions that people have all the time about their relationship with God or, or just about Christianity. So you put your name and address and fill that in. Because what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to pass our offering bags, but we're not really looking for the offering. We're just asking you as a favor for you to put your card in. Whether you put your name on it or not, but check your box, check you know, check the appropriate ABCD, put your name on it. And by the way, one more thing. If you're C, if you check C, next week we're starting a new series here at Grace called Ever Wonder Why. And Luke talked about that a little bit earlier today. And really, it kind of answers those soul questions that we kind of groan about inside of us. How is this? How does this reconcile life and God? How does this come together in this area? We'll start answering those next week. So if you're a C and you're considering that, we'll give you more information. But you know what? I know I've gotten a little down on you here, you know, kind of turned dark. But this Easter weekend, right, this is all good news. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died and came back from the dead to prove that everything that he said was true and is true now. And he invites all of us, all of us, all of us. He invites us to come and follow him. And that's why we celebrate today with joy the resurrection.